And I hope we can top it off tonight with a class that is meaningful and interesting and helpful to everyone. Be on the lookout for mosquitoes. About two or three minutes after I got here tonight, I killed one on my arm. Then Faye Burton came over to talk to us, and I saw one flying around her, and she said, he's come to the wrong place. I don't have much blood. So he flew off and started looking for somebody that, you know, a little filled out more that promised a good feeding. So if I see you start giving this, I'll know that you haven't got fleas. It was a mosquito. As I said, I hope you're feeling good tonight. My wife was out shopping today and she met somebody who knows me and she said, how's Mr. Whited feeling? The person asked. She said, I don't know, I hadn't felt of him lately. So uh, if you don't know how you're feeling, just feel of yourself for a minute. If you're feeling good, look up here and smile real big and I'll know everything's good. In his unremitting effort to separate Christians from God and destroy them, Satan uses many tactics or strategies. He's chosen the ones that work best, and the subject of our lesson tonight is one of the best strategies or tactics that he has to ruin us. In every way, Satan is the diametric opposite of God. God is love, Satan is hate. God is good, Satan is evil. God is pure, Satan is corrupt. We read in 1 John 5 verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This says that one of the main reasons that Jesus came here was to make it possible for us to know God. Then he repeats that God is true and the source of eternal life. Since truth is a major aspect of God, the lie or deception is a major trait of the devil. God always presents reality and never tries to conceal it, but Satan presents what is not real and tries to conceal reality. Here is the place to distinguish between the words lie and deception. A lie is that which is not real, or that which does not exist. Or saying it in different terms, it's what doesn't fit with what is really there. Deception is the effort to persuade others to believe a lie, to convince them to accept as truth what is not real or not existent. For example, it was a lie when the Pharisees claimed in Matthew 12, 24, that Jesus casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. It was deception 
when they proclaimed that to the people and, and urged them to believe it and accept it. And then there in Matthew 12, 25 through 29, Jesus promptly denied that claim when he said, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and therefore the kingdom of God has come upon you. Satan finds deception exceedingly successful, and he is a master of parading falsehood before us. So vividly is truth that it convinces the majority of people. There is so much in our world and our way of life that is really false, but because it is entrenched by generations of acceptance and custom, all but the most perceptive accept it without question. A person who accepts customs and new fads because they are popular, because they enable him to fit in with what's around him, because they see uh, fun in it, is playing right into the hand of the devil. He is offering himself to the devil willingly and without resistance. Here I am. Perhaps it's because or this is because of a feature of our fallen nature called in New Testament terminology the way of the flesh. It's pathetic to people who are spiritually enlightened and have wisdom from God to watch this happening to people around them. It's the essential task of every Christian who wants to remain a Christian to become enlightened and wise enough to examine things about him, to separate truth from deception. In Hebrews 5.14, we're told that the object of Christian training is to become mature and to have our senses exercised to discern good and evil. To discern means to distinguish to, to recognize, to tell the difference between. This is the only way to discover Satan's deception because he blends evil with good in order to disguise it and to make it look good too. He poisons what is good by adding just a little evil to it so that we won't notice it and accept it with all the bulk of good that's there. When something looks 98% good to us, it's very easy to dismiss that 2% of evil that's there and think, that doesn't make any difference, it's so little. But folks, if you drink a glass of orange juice that's two, that has 2% cyanide, You've only got about a minute or so left to live. This is exactly the point that is made by Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, where he said, A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Nearly always in the New Testament, 
The word leaven stands for or indicates evil influence. It starts very small and is ignored or unnoticed, but as time passes, it gradually grows. It's always growing. It spreads. And the time comes when it controls the environment in which it is operating. When it's small, it can usually be removed rather easily and its progress prevented. But the longer it remains and keeps spreading, the more difficult it is to get rid of it. This is why Paul urges us to clean out the old leaven, which in verse 8 he calls the leaven of malice and wickedness. Paul wrote this to Corinthians because Satan had introduced among them a small case of immorality. One man was committing incest with his father's wife, in other words, his stepmother. Only one man and one woman were involved. But folks, that was the little leaven that in time would leaven the whole lump. The church was tolerating it, probably thinking, cover it with love and kindness. That's the best way. You know, that's where we're told nearly all the time. If there's a problem, oh, let's cover it with love and kindness, and it'll go away. Wrong. That's just the way that Satan wants you to think because it hides the evil that he has put there and allows it time and liberty to grow and to take control. But Paul recognized that danger and he commanded this church, deliver this person to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That is, Remove the cancer of church, of sin from the church, which right now is just one case, small, for that will save the whole church. Then try to deal with that case outside of the church in the hope that the man's spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Read the follow-up in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 12 for that. There are several biblical, biblical texts that could be used as the foundation for this lesson tonight. But the one I've chosen is a statement by Jesus in John 8:44, in which he said of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus made this statement in a long debate with the Pharisees, which I will not rehearse because it, it doesn't really apply here. He had just told them that they were uh, neither of the children of God nor the children of Abraham. And that made them furious. With indignation, they replied, we are not the children of fornication meaning spiritual fornication. They asserted they were the children of God. Jesus then replied, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. What he meant was they would not listen to him. They wouldn't think about it, consider it. 
They would not believe the truth that he spoke. The reason they couldn't is this. They had let the devil so deceive them with the denial of Jesus is genuine that they could not receive him and would not listen. Then Jesus plainly said to him, words that are shocking. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. When anyone yields to Satan's persuasion, he is making Satan his father. And then he wants to do his father, Satan's will. When Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning, he evidently was speaking about Cain killing his brother Abel in Genesis 4. And he attributes Cain's deed to the influence of Satan. Jesus brought this into the discussion because he knew that the Pharisees right at that moment were in league with the, the priests plotting his crucifixion. They had yielded to Satan's influence, just like Cain did back there in the beginning. When the Jews did crucify Jesus, it was because Satan had blinded them with the deception that they were killing an imposter and not their very own Messiah. This is why Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, what they're doing, and they did not know what they were doing. But Satan, who was controlling their evil, knew what they were doing and why they were doing it. Because it was he who was really behind all that happened in Jesus' trial and crucifixion. When anyone yields to Satan, that's what happens. He will do and say whatever Satan wants him to. And folks, that is briefly the story of all of the evil that has been said and spoken by man from the very beginning. And are they then really guilty of the evil that they say and do? Or is it Satan? Folks, it's the people who are guilty. Because, here's the main point, folks, no one serves Satan except by choice. We're never overpowered to serve him. We always turn ourselves over to him in one way or the other, slow or quickly. God has given us the means in Christ not to yield to Satan and also how to escape from him if we find that we are under his power. Now let's focus our attention upon Jesus' statement that there is no truth in Satan. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Folks, this is the ultimate justification for my lesson tonight that one of Satan's main tactics among us is deception. Jesus said this from firsthand experience over long centuries past. He knows Satan's tactics perfectly. 
All 11 of them that we're going to have in this course, Jesus knows them thoroughly. When Jesus said that Satan is the father of lies, he meant that Satan is the one who invented the lie. He did it because of its effectiveness in, uh, in deception in order to turn us away from God to ultimate destruction. That's what he wants to destroy every one of us as a creature of God. The Bible records many occasions where the Bible, I mean, where Satan used the lie to lead someone astray and directly into sin. The first is the case of his meeting with Eve in the Garden of Eden. There in Genesis chapter 3, two lies are recorded there. First, when Satan said, you will not die if you eat of that tree God has forbidden. And second, he said, the fruit of that tree is going to make you like God. Paul exposed the lie that eating the forbidden fruit would not lead to death. When in Romans 5 and verse 12, he said that sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam, and death following right behind it through sin. And so death, death spread to all men because all have sinned. And second, the lie that eating that fruit would make uh, the person like God is exposed because Paul also says there in Romans 5 and verse 12, it didn't make Adam and Eve like God, it made them sinners. It made them like Satan. It made them rebel against God and become an enemy of God as Satan did. It was the worst thing they could have done. Most good citizens who are not Christians doubtless would be terribly offended if you got an idea across to them, they're under Satan's power and are also rebels and enemies of God. But this only further demonstrates the effectiveness of Satan's tool of deception. In John 8:44, Jesus told those Jews that God was their father and that if he was their father, they were his children, the children of the devil. Will you or I or anyone contradict Jesus that anyone who is not his disciple is a servant of the devil? Folks, there's only two choices. Either serve Christ or serve the devil. There's nothing in between. The Bible is very clear about that. Think about what Paul told the Colossians in 1.13. He said, He, God, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Domain of darkness, kingdom of God's beloved son, no others, just those two. Paul is here saying that before the Colossians became Christians, they were in the domain of darkness. That means the kingdom of Satan. When they became Christians, they were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his dear son, Christ Jesus. Really, 
when you look at it objectively, a person ought to be very happy or glad or grateful for being told you're in the service of Satan so that he will know that he is and look for the way out and upon finding it, take it easy. It is the greatest foolishness to be offended when someone lovingly, kindly, and objectively tells a person that. You're in the service of Satan. It's foolishness to get mad and to start justifying yourself or even plant a fist on a nose. Whenever the invitation song is sung and people believe what I'm telling you, Satan in this auditorium starts advising certain, the souls of certain people, don't be alarmed by what you've just heard. You're okay. Everything's fine, isn't it? Just disregard it. Or he says, you've got lots of time and opportunity if you're persuaded, but you've still got lots of time and opportunity. Or he will tell you, this is not the opportune time. Just think of what some things you need to do, maybe next week, maybe next month, whatever. He is telling people in their minds every time we sing an invitation song right here. He's very busy. He's working hard with his power of deception to keep souls in his grip. And he is usually very successful. So many people that need to answer that invitation don't. They walk right out those doors out there, still in the service of Satan and their soul lost. It would be good if we now looked at a specific case of the devil at work with his tool of deception, trying to prevent a person that's in his kingdom from being transferred out of it into the kingdom of Christ. The Bible offers many cases to consider. The one that I've carefully chosen is in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas had gone to the island of Cyprus. They had started on the east end at um, uh, a place called Paphos. And then they worked the way across that long island to the west to the city of Salamis where the Roman government uh, administered justice. The Roman governor at this time there was a man named Sergius Paulus that Luke says was a man of intelligence. He had his, high, uh, his headquarters there at Salamis and he heard about Paul and Barnabas and said, bring them in, I wanna hear what they're teaching. Satan at once saw a challenge in this. One of his spiritual slaves, Sergius Paulus the governor, stood a good chance of being snatched out of his kingdom through Paul's preaching into the kingdom of Christ. So it was time for him to get busy and use this tool of deception, and he did it. But folks, Satan doesn't work directly. Rather, he uses one of his skilled servants nearby and exerts his influence upon them, but he gets it done. And so we read there in verse 6 of Acts 13 that there was a certain magician 
a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul. As Paul and Barnabas were teaching Sergius Paulus, it says that this man, whose everyday name was Elymas, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the truth. Satan was working through Elymas, trying to deceive this proconsul and lead him to deny that what he was hearing was the truth and to reject it. Then he would hold on, Satan would hold on to this lost soul because this man was the governor. He had power over the whole people of Cyprus and through him he could control the people of Cyprus. In the Roman headquarters where this was going on, Satan was invisible, but he was as present as if he could be seen. He was in this Elymas a soldier of his in his service. And through him, he was throwing flaming darts of opposition, his deceptive reasoning at this unwitting proconsul. But Paul was 100% aware that Satan was there because listen to what it says in verse nine. It says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how he knew. Verse 10 then reports that Paul fixed his gaze upon Elymas and said, you are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a season. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Did you notice that Paul called Elymas a son of the devil right to his face? And he was, because he was letting Satan fill him with all deceit and fraud making him the enemy of, of righteousness and using him to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Consider those words that Paul used. Deceit, fraud, make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Folks, all of them point to the very subject of this lesson tonight, Satan's tactic of deception. Here we are shown a vivid and a very real case of it in action. The bold effort to prevent a man, in this case a Roman proconsul, from seeing the truth. The truth that he was lost in sin. And the truth that God could save him from that if he would let him. And of course that would take faith and obedience. The Holy Spirit who was filling Paul empowered him to strike Elymas blind and shut his mouth. And in doing it, Satan was forced to leave the scene. And with him out of the way, verse 12 reports that then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. 
Though Luke does not specifically record that the proconsul believed and was baptized into Christ, I'm personally fully persuaded that that is the force of the word believed as used in this context. There are places where the word believe indubitably means uh, to obey as well as believe. One place is John 3.16, uh, 3.18, excuse me. Satan, with his deception, is the major obstacle in the way of most people who hear the gospel but reject it and continue on the path of sin which Paul calls crooked. Why really would anyone logically want to walk a crooked, dangerous path when there's a straight one to walk? But near 95% of the people in the world, I guess, would rather walk that crooked road if Satan can be removed, or at least silenced, the person is then independent, like Sergius Paulus was, to accept the truth, to believe it, and be led by it, to obey the gospel. And that's when Satan's chains drop off of him. And for the first time since he was a child, he's free. There are a couple of other important things to be seen in this remarkable case in Acts 13. In James 4 and verse 7, we're told to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That can be seen in this encounter between Paul, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elymas, who was a son of the devil, working for the devil against God. When Paul sternly said to this magician, you're full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? When Paul said that, the spirit that was within him was rebuking the devil who was within Elymas. And folks, at that moment, Satan knew he was beaten. There was no reason to stay. He couldn't do anything else. So he fled the scene. And he did nothing further to stop Paul, even from striking his soldier of evil blind. This demonstrates that if the devil is firmly resisted, as James says, he, in fact, will flee from you. Folks, if you resist the devil, which manifests himself to you in the form of many kinds of temptations, if you really resist him, he will flee from you and quit uh, tempting you. As Christians, we also have within us the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you will receive what? the gift of the Holy Spirit, not some gift the Holy Spirit will give you. The gift that is the Holy Spirit is the way that reading means. And he will comfort you and help you successfully to resist Satan if you will use him. He's available. He's in you if you're a Christian. One more thing in this event. When Paul struck Alamus blind, it says he did not see the sun for a season, and immediately a mist 
and a darkness fell upon him. Folks, this was his dire penalty for acting as the devil's agent in deception. And it conveys an ominous meaning for everyone who continues out of Christ in the devil's service. Compare it with the three times in Matthew when Jesus said that the unrighteous will be thrown into outer darkness. And remember that Colossians 1.13 says that the unconverted are in the domain of darkness. People who remain in Satan's service and will not leave it are choosing to live this life in moral and spiritual darkness. They may have an IQ of 160 and be able to ask any question and work problems of the most advanced mathematic and physics type, but they still are in moral and spiritual darkness, and that's the worst kind. Jesus says that accordingly beyond the grave, they will spend all eternity in outer darkness as their reward, never to see the light of goodness and grace of God again. Finally, let us look for a moment at a passage where Paul is dealing with a set of men who had come into the church in Corinth and were preaching a different gospel in a different spirit, portraying a different Jesus. They claimed Paul was a fake apostle, that he was speaking out of himself and not from God. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul then stands up against these teachers and he refutes one by one their claims. Then he makes this significant statement in verses 13 and 14. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And this emphasizes just what a master of deception Satan is. Though he is of the domain of darkness, Satan can pose himself in radiant brilliance as an angel of light. That deception, brothers and sisters in Christ, is the greatest deception there is. Satan presents himself to us in everyday society as truth, purity, goodness in so many ways. But folks, that moral brilliance is only a facade for the lies, the corruption, and the evil that fills in everything that is behind it. That's the way that Satan comes to us in the mental and moral and spiritual dimensions. Folks, he speaks through false teachers in the church. He speaks through books and magazines that have error in them that he knows is there because he put it there. He speaks through professors in college classes. He speaks through the social media, especially today. People in general out there are totally in awe of him. Why? Because he has PhD degrees. 
because he has published many books that are best-selling even in the religious genre. Because of his popularity as an acclaimed speaker, everybody wants him to come and speak for them. Because of his prominence in the social media, and Satan through such people appears to us as authoritative. You don't dare call his hand on anything or ask a question. He dominates in discussion. If you say something, he will speak quicker, louder, and faster. He is praised for all those awards that he has got. He is praised for the peer approval that he receives. Few are willing to stand up to him. We think, I just don't have the stature to do it. Folks, it's Satan in that person. He is really a messenger of Satan, disguising himself as an angel of light. We must recognize him for what he is, that he is the spirit of deception, acting in such men of prominence and distinction and acclaimed erudition. We must not let ourselves be uh, intimidated by his academic credentials, by his awards, by his public prominence. Folks, some of the best sermons that I have ever heard preached in the church were by men of no reputation, some of whom didn't even have college degrees. But the lessons were true to the book. They were sincere. They were the truth spoken in love. When a person's message does not square with Scripture, I don't care what his credentials are, what his acclaim is, what his standing is academically. We must believe what the Bible has said and discount what that person is saying. We must be steadfast in the truth which was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude verse 3 says. Satan even quoted scripture right to Jesus' face, but he, must, he distorted it. What did Jesus do? He spoke right back into Satan's face, quoting the same scripture, but he quoted it in its entirety and perfection and rebuked Satan. Folks, it is your challenge and mine to become so enlightened of the holy book that you and I can do the same and not be so feeble that we have to run to the preacher or somebody else that's um, we think is so brilliant to come and answer it for us. It's our job as a servant of Satan, one of his children, to stand up against him on the spot at the time. That's why we need to study the Word of God seriously and deeply and intensively and not just slide over the surface and never see what's down inside of it because that doesn't enable you to meet the wiles of the devil. Well, that's it for tonight. Thank you for listening. You've been an A-plus audience. I appreciate it.